Well, we're in the book of Genesis, and we are in a series called Founding Faith, which is part of our year-long focus on faith stories, faith stories. And I want to ask you a simple question this morning, and that is, um, do you trust God? Do you trust God? I mean, do you, do, you, do you really trust God? I don't mean just lip service, but do you really, in your heart of hearts, trust God? And how do you know? How do you know? How do you know that you can trust God? That's my question for you this morning. In the book of Hebrews, which we've been referencing a little bit as we get into this series, the writer of Hebrews gives us a, a, a wonderful picture. He says, uh, because of the unchangeable character of God, we have this hope that is an anchor for our souls. An anchor for our souls. What a picture. What a picture. Do you have that anchor this morning? Do you really have that anchor for your soul this morning? Well, we're going to learn from um, what I think is a strange story from the book of Genesis. And it's one of those stories where uh, I've got to confess, I've, I've read over it many, many times and I just passed by and I said, oh, well, that's, that's kind of nice. You know, it's one of those wacky Old Testament things. But then as I've, I've done some more research into it and, and listened to some, some people teach on it, I'm like, wow, this is a compelling story that paints a picture that we all need to see. So I want to take you to Genesis chapter 15. Invite you to turn there. Words will also be on the screen. Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now let me give you a little context. We are not going verse by verse through the book of Genesis. That take a minute. We're picking some particular faith stories that I believe help us. They have something to show us and they are shaping us so that we can share uh, our stories with people who need the hope of Jesus. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The this, what has happened? Well, Abram has received this call from God. God has said, I will, you know, go leave your land. I'm going to make you a great nation. And he takes his nephew or, you know, his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and they go. And since we left off last week, uh, Lot and, and Abram have parted ways. Abram ha or uh, Lot has settled in uh, a place called Sodom. And Lot has gotten caught in the crossfires of a battle between different kings. Now, it's, it's not like king-king as we would maybe think. It's, it's probably more smaller uh, bands of people. But what has happened is uh, this group of five kings and this group of four kings have battled. And, and uh, Lot, has, Lot finds himself in the place of the losers. And he has been taken captive. And all his possessions... So Abram gathers up his 300 or so 
uh, men in his household, and he goes back and does a rescue operation for Lot. You could like picture this as an action-adventure movie. You just get a few sentences in the text, but you, you can imagine this, and he's, he's gone back, and he's, he's rescued Lot and the women and the children, and it's, you know, play the music. It's a, it's a celebration. It's a good thing. And, and the king of Sodom will come up to him and say, hey, let me, let me pay you something. Let me give you some of the possessions that you have recovered. And he says, no, no, no. I've, I've, I've promised the Lord I won't receive from that. I don't, I don't want to say, hey, this king has made me rich. And then uh, we get to this uh, passage here. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. We could stop there and preach that, but we have more to do. I will protect you. I will give you all that you need. Verse 2, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars and count them, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Now, we got to back up here just a moment and think about the narrative. When God initially called Abraham, he did not give him all the details of the plan. Has God ever done that to you? (laughs) Hey, I want you to do something, but I'm not going to give you all of the details. In fact, the call that I may give to you may seem really hard and really strange, and you may wonder, how will this be? So Abram is in a process of trying to discern what is the Lord calling him to do, what is this going to look like? But God has said, if indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, if you're a Bible, i got to pause for just a minute. we got to do a little bit of Bible work. We'll get to the story. We've got the action-adventure part. We're going to get to a strange part in the story, but we need to pause, and we want to take a hard right in our Bible. I want to take you all the way to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. Let's go ahead and put Romans 4, 1 on the screen. The Apostle Paul will make use of this particular verse. He will do this. He'll do this and use it in a couple different ways. Younger brother of Jesus, James, will use this verse, but I want to point you to one example here. Paul says this in in Romans 4, 1. What then shall we say that... Abraham, our forefather. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. 
What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So in the big enchilada of Paul's letters where he's going to explain all of his of grace and salvation and all these things, he's going to go back to this forefather Abraham and say this whole thing is not based on works, it is based on faith. You can't earn it. Amen? It's a good thing. Now, James will come along later and say, well, hey, this faith that we have ought to express itself in something. Faith without works is, is dead. And there's a living out. That's the other side of the coin. They're not in contradiction. They're just, they work together. Paul at another time in Galatians, we won't have time to turn to it, but he'll use this text as a strong rebuke against the church at Galatia for not welcoming people in. It's a passage of unity. Now let's get back to the story. Verse 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. He's going to reiterate this promise. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? How can I know? You ever have that question to God? How can I know that this is true? Now, God has already affirmed his, he, he's credit, his, his belief, his faith. He's affirmed this. Now, Abraham is saying, but I'd like some details. I'd like to know how this is going to work itself out. It's a fair question. So the Lord said to him, verse 9, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. God, what are the details? How's this going to go? Bring me some animals. What is going on here? This seems like such a strange act. Abram knew what to do. He said, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. This is a strange story if you don't know the culture. Some of you know where this is going. Some of you have, good night, where is he going today? This is, I have no idea how this is going to apply to my life today. But here's what's going on. Here's what, Abram, here's what Abram hears. Okay, we're going, to, we're going to cut a covenant. That's what the ceremony was called. The closest thing we might have to it today is we're going to sign a contract. When I perform a marriage ceremony, I don't think it's legal in the eyes of the state till both parties sign the contract. When you sell a house and you sign all those documents, both parties sign the contract. Have I lost anybody yet? Now, when you cut a covenant, here's what you do. 
signing was, is so soft. You're going to bring these animals, you're going to cut them in two, and you're going to put them in a path, and both parties are to walk between the pieces. And what are you saying? If I don't uphold my end of the contract, if I don't fulfill it, may I be like these animals? We've got lawyers and lawsuits and all this. Fine. May I be like one of those dead animals if I don't fulfill the contract? This is what, this is just the culture, okay? This is the culture. I'm not making this up. This was the culture. This is what they did. This is what Abram hears. If I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, may I be like these dead animals. Verse 11. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now now picture this scene for a minute. It would take a while to perform this, to slice these animals up, split them open, lay them out. Imagine the birds coming in. He's going to shoo them away. This is a brutal scene. It just is. It's a brutal culture. I go to the store and I get my chicken and it's frozen in a package. And I'm upset when they raise the prices a little bit. I don't like handling, I'm so soft, I don't like handling this stuff. That's just what they did back then, though. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain. What does Abram ask him? How can I know? Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." That's a lot of information to process. How do I know? Well, I'm going to tell you the whole story. Do you really want to know? Imagine God saying to you, hey, this is what's going to happen 400 years from now. Do you really want that information? Can you handle that? Can you handle that truth? I imagine Abram trying to process all this. Now, we've got the pieces here. We've got a covenant. We're going to cut a covenant. Abram's waiting. What is Abram waiting on? If you're going to cut a covenant, what do you do? You walk through the pieces. He's going to wait. He's going to hear this. He's going to see this big picture of what God is up to. Verse 17, when the sun had set, darkness had fallen, and darkness had fallen. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, verse 18, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. 
what is going on here? They're going to cut a covenant. Who has passed between the pieces? Has Abram passed between the pieces? No. No. A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch is all that has passed between the pieces. This is a strange scene, but it is so profound. It is so profound. I didn't see this till I listened to a Tim Keller sermon one time. It helped me understand this at a deeper level. What is going on here? Who passes between the pieces? A smoky. It's God. God has passed between the pieces. Abram has not. Normally, in a covenant, when you cut the covenant, both parties pass through. Abram, exhausted, right there. God passes through the pieces. Now, what are the implications of that? I want you to consider that. What are the implications of God passing through the pieces? What is God saying? Well, if you had a normal ceremony here, each party says, if I don't fulfill my end of the deal, may I be like these dead pieces. God's going to uphold his end. And, and he will say to Abram, if you don't fulfill it, I will. If you don't fulfill it, I will. And I know you're not going to be able to do it. I know you can't hold up your end of the covenant. You will fail. You will turn against me. But I will go on your behalf. I will go on your behalf. I will suffer the consequences. I will pay the penalty. I will die where you should have. Let that sit on you for just a moment. Now, 2,000 years later, do the timeline here. About 2,000 years later, God will make good on the promise. God would make good on the promise. There would be and geographically, this is so cool. This is like in about the same place. Where this actual thing happens is just a little bit outside of Jerusalem. So we're in roughly the same geographical place 2,000 years later. From noon to 3 in the afternoon, there would be a heavy darkness come over. That same place. And on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem, not in, not in the Valley of the Kings, but at the place of the skull at Golgotha at Calvary, Jesus would fulfill the promise. He would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
and he would fulfill that promise. Now, what happened at that time in the temple, the curtain surrounding the Holy of Holies where the high priest would go in and make sacrifice, that, that curtain would be torn in two. That curtain would be torn in two. That's why we don't any longer have to make sacrifices because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for us. Now let me take you to Hebrews 6 and we'll flesh this out just a little bit more. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. You see, I want you to hear this morning that our forefather, Abraham, points us to our forerunner, Jesus. Our forefather, Abraham, points us to our forerunner, Jesus. We're going to read this story just like Jesus said on the walk to Emmaus. Everything points to me. This strange story of the covenant points to Jesus. And I want to give you this sentence. The unbreakable promise of God was fulfilled in the broken body of Jesus. The unbreakable promise of God was fulfilled in the broken body of Jesus. This is historically true. It really happened at a place in time God broke through and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sins he walked through the he passed through the pieces so that we could have access and a relationship with him we can have the forgiveness of sins it's theologically true it all points to this that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that we can't do anything we 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 cannot fulfill the covenant we cannot fulfill the promise we will always break our promise but the unbreakable promise of God is fulfilled in the broken body of Jesus and that's the first half of this and the other part of this is that the broken body of Jesus gives us an unbreakable anchor for our souls. That the broken body of Jesus gives us today an unbreakable anchor for our souls. Do you have that anchor today? Do you have that anchor today? Well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know that you have that anchor? And I would, I would simply ask you, what is, what is your life anchored to? What's the deepest part of your life? What, what is your life anchored to? Is it anchored to your hope in Jesus? Or is it anchored to something else? You know, I was thinking, you know, what's the, what's the deepest thing that your soul is anchored to? I had a little test about 15 years ago. I got, I got cancer and I got demoted in my job in the same year. 
Some of you heard this story. Sorry, I'm going to make it real quick. Two, two rough things happened to me. The cancer, eh, I trust God. The demotion in my job just crushed me. What do you think that revealed about me? What was the deepest anchor? God, I could trust you, but, but my performance, the way people look at me? Ooh. There are all kinds of things we can anchor our souls to. What is at the bottom? What's the deepest? There are all kinds of good things, we, you know, family, job, church. I, they're great things. But what is the deepest anchor? How deep does it go? Now, everything else is eventually going to break. I don't care how fit you are, you're going to die. Your body's going to break down and you're going to die. I don't care how great your job is, eventually you're going to retire or die. (laughs) Maybe at the same time, I don't know. How much you love your family, how great of a parent, grandparent you are, you're not the anchor for anybody's soul. God may use you, but you're not the ultimate anchor. Amen? The sooner we can figure that out, (laughs) the better. But what's the deepest anchor of your soul? Is it really Jesus? Now, if it is, let's live like it and let's share it. And if it's not, if it's not, let's go after Jesus. Let's pursue him. Let's respond. Let's say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm messed up. I've got other anchors. I've pursued other things. But you, I want you to be what I attach my life to. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what where, where your anchor sits, what you're anchored to. But we're going to do something right now as a church family. We're going to come to the communion table. We're going to come to the table. And the team's going to lead us in a song, and, and you're going to have the opportunity to come up and receive the elements. And I want you to do this. I want you to take a minute. And I want you to reflect. I want you to remember. Remember what Jesus has done, that he has passed through for us. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed. He gathered his disciples in the upper room. He broke the bread and after giving thanks, he said, this is my body given for you. This is a fulfillment. The disciples, they wouldn't have connected the dots. They didn't know. This promise is fulfilled. The unbreakable promise is fulfilled right now. So he gave it to him. He said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, blood that will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So when you're ready, after I pray, you can come forward 
and receive and simply invite the Holy Spirit to lead you closer to Jesus and be the anchor of your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the bread and the cup and all that it represents. Holy Spirit, work in us. Show us what our souls are truly anchored to. And would you release us from those things that are not you? Would you guide us? Would you change our hearts so that we would pursue you? But in these moments, we say thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for your love. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So when you're ready, as a follower of Jesus, you can come and receive.